Welcome to another episode of Civic Cipher. I am your host, Ramses Ja. Big shout out to my co-host, Q Ward, who has the day off to be incredible, but that is okay. Have no fear. We have a special guest in the building and sometimes contributor to this uh, national dialogue that we've been having here. She goes by the name of Lisa Sun. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm so and, glad to be back. Uh, and we're glad to have you. And I know that that is not the introduction that you deserve, but I never do your introductions justice. So how about you let the folks know exactly who you are and what you do? I am a community activist here in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I'm also a politician. I did run for the State House of Representative in the 2020 cycle um, with very powerful incumbents. And, um, you know, as a result, I've really learned about the political process within the Democratic Party. So moving forward, I've decided to run again so as of today, I am officially announcing my candidacy for our new lines of districts here in Arizona, as well as across the United States of America. It's now be LD22. And again, I'll be running for the State House of Representative. Excellent. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad you made the announcement here on Civic Cipher, and I look forward to having today's conversation with you. Um, in addition to that, conversation be sure to stick around because we will be checking in for our ebony excellence segment um which is coming up next also to become a better ally we're going to take a look at judge timothy walmsey who presided over the ahmaud aubrey case and we're going to hear something from dr martin luther king jr for our way black history facts so a lot to stick around for but as i mentioned first and foremost Let's uh, celebrate a little bit of ebony excellence. So today's story comes from the Atlanta Black Star. That is a favorite around here because they cover a lot of stuff that we like to talk about. And so um, we'll just share it with you. In the midst of the pandemic, an entrepreneur by the name of Robert Thomas made a serious 180 degree turn. In early 2020, Thomas was operating District 1960 nightclub. But when COVID-19 hit, uh, it shut down his business. He knew the end of his five-year run as the club owner was over. Uh, is a quote from him. He says, this was a club before I renovated it. Uh, they shut me down when there was a pandemic. And now, uh, Thomas, who's passionate about food and wellness, decided to do something different. He shut down the club, renovated the inside, and then opened a grocery store. Um, I'm going to read this to you. An estimated 41% of black-owned businesses shut their doors between February and April of 2020, according to New York Federal Reserve, uh, a New York Federal Reserve study that looked at COVID-19's impact on entrepreneurs across the U.S. Um, and the culprit was a lack of savings and access to capital. But Com Thomas came out of the shutdown with a vision not only to save his business, but also to help the black community maintain its health. On November 26, Thomas opened the District Market Green Grocer, which he claims is Houston's first black-owned grocery store and juice bar, in the space that had previously been his nightclub. Customers come to the store and are able to find fresh fruit, vegetables, and other products from black-owned vendors. Another quote, right now I have over 30 black vendors, end quote, said Thomas. Fruit, vegetables, eggs, vegan meals for the vegan community, Thomas told uh, Fox 26 Houston, 
quote we have a black owned washing powder herbs and spices as well as sauces i want to be in the running with the whole foods and the trader joe's i want to get to that level and i'm taking the black vendors with me as a fellow nightclub owner i salute you you are an example of ebony excellence once again shout out to robert thomas of houston texas moving on the topic of the day my good friend lisa son now before you came up here today, you mentioned that there were a lot of goings on within the Democratic Party. Um, our might not have been our last episode, but a couple of episodes ago, Q and I discussed uh, this question that is posed by the right very often, which is why do black people overwhelmingly vote Democratic? They, it's, it's like a lot of these folks can't see um, what the reality is for many black people because not all black people vote Democrat, but we, we understand their point. Most of us do. Um, and in that discussion, we had to be very critical of both parties. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, there's this point that you hear time and again that it's effectively the lesser of two evils, you know, and if you have to choose something, yeah, I do want the lesser of two evils. Yeah, you know? unfortunately. Um, but this conversation took on a whole new meaning off air when you and I had a discussion because uh, there were some goings on within the Democratic Party itself that even I was not made aware of. Uh, until that conversation with you. I am not a politician myself. I'm a broadcaster and a person who's very passionate about making sure that black voices and black thoughts are shared with the country. Um, and you are someone who works in that arena. So let's talk about it. First question is, okay, so Let's let me ask you this, um, because I, I realized that we didn't give a proper background uh, for you. We had we initially met at the vigil for the Atlantic shooting um, back in March at the state capitol. Right. And then we did a March rally at the um, Margaret Hens Park. And that's where you participated and was one of our speakers sure and sure. then moving forward i think we did a, a show here on civic cyber on race relations which i believe was the very first time that our audience here in arizona is hearing anything along that line right um we definitely took that from the national level and brought here at the state level with you so i was really excited about that and um you know moving forward i think there's a lot of work that we can you know work on as far as race relations because that's actually a taboo subject matter to be honest with you and i know a lot of people are not comfortable talking about it so kudos to you oh yeah we, we're <laughs> going to talk that. about it um actually we have an upcoming episode where we're going to talk about the instances of violence we have seen on this show where it's black people attacking asian people and we have to use this space to publicly and nationally condemn those acts and stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters of Asian descent and, you know, from the Asian community, which you are one, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that, I believe, was approximately the time when you were starting to really engage in the political process. 
if, I, if I'm wrong, you can correct me. Well, by then, I already ran in the 2020 uh, okay. Okay. Uh, election cycle. And after I ran for public office, I realized that there is a huge void within our community of, of information that is skewed by the Democratic Party mm. from certain elected officials, my incumbents. Okay. And, you know, not to label... I, I don't really like to call it the moderate Democrats versus the progressive Democrats, which is the two side within the Democratic Party. The way I'm currently seeing it, and, and I'm just calling it out just based on my anecdotal uh, experiences and viewpoint, these are my views only, is that the moderate Democrats, I usually call them corporate Democrats. And then the progressive Democrats, I would say they lean more towards the we, the people Democrats, because they are the lesser of two evil. Unfortunately, even we, uh, within the progressive Democrats, we've seen and experienced them running on that title label. But then after a cycle or two, once they are elected, they convert to the corporate Democrats. I could see that. And we're, we're, we're going to definitely yeah, talk about how that happens. Exactly. But keep going. Keep going and listen. Yeah. I mean, there are so many issues that we can segue from the statements I just made. But obviously, I just want to move forward by sharing my anecdotal experiences being a politician within the Democratic Party. We've heard these statements time and time again that the Republicans are racist, right? But we also know that the Democrat Party have time at times shown that they are also racist but with politeness and again that, the lesser of two evils <laughs> i know it just but it doesn't make it right so please continue i didn't mean to throw you off no that's fine i mean what you just said is correct is that we know this we know this and we're not addressing it we're not attacking it we're not holding our elected officials feet to the fire and why is that not occurring so when I was running for uh, public office, I was running against incumbents. Incumbents mean that you're, uh, you're on the ballot uh, you know, with the same party members, meaning that this can happen with the Republicans, this can happen with the independents, it can happen with the Democrats. So happens the district that I will run again is predominantly Democratic uh, voters. Their constituents are largely um, Democrats. So the chance of a Republican ever win our district is zero. It will always be a Democrat. It's a safe blue zone. And when that happens, a lot of the officials, elected officials, get into public office, and they're not being checked. Their feet are not held to the fire. They're going to look at the lobbyists and the PACs and their influence to favor laws for corporations, where corporations' hands are untied so they can tie our hands and strip our civil rights. So um, you kind of alluded to it. I, I'm glad that we took the time to do a proper introduction because the question that I was originally going to ask is, um, why is it important for people to engage in the political process? But I think you alluded to some of those points just now by illustrating the fact that if you're not as engaged, it can really get away from you. If you're not holding your elected representatives feet to the fire so to speak that um other interests can creep in when you're not paying attention to it is that about right 
Oh, no, that's absolutely right. The question now is that how does that look like? How do we get engaged? And a lot of people feel like, well, you know, I'm not political savvy. And I registered to vote for the very first time in 2018. Was I political then? No, I didn't even know that there was a state capital that has a Senate and a House versus one at the federal level. So these are the things that I was not aware of. But I did grow up being very philosophical and a deep thinker for humanities. If you have a heart and you care about your family and you care about your communities and your neighbors, then you are the right person to run for public office, believe it or not, because you can learn on your way there. And that's what happened to me. In 2018, I registered to vote for the very first time and voted. And then in 2019, I threw my hat in the ring and ran for public office. Wow. Going through that process was a whirlwind. There was great sacrifices personally, and I don't regret every, every um, minute of it because at the end of the day, that's how I was woke. We hear that a lot. Yeah. Be woke. Yeah. You can't be woke if you don't know what's going on. <laughs> so the process, I'm still learning. And what I found out is that there were so many gatekeeping. And this happens on both sides of the aisle, for the Republicans and for the Democrats. The only difference I see from my perspective is that the Republicans tend to have more candidates in every race, at every level. It's like almost like they have a free-for-all, like they just sign up and they start running. And what I've noticed is the gap in their um, funding. They tend to come from more of a middle class and up and then we don't have that selection as much. So the money isn't as large, therefore the money doesn't stretch as much to support a candidate that is at the state or the federal level, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And then what that creates is a scarcity. And whenever there's a, a sense of scarcity, it gives us a false sense of, of uh, accountability to do the right thing because it becomes uh, competitive where we eat our own. Now we eat our own young almost. So um, I, I can see from where I'm sitting right now how corporate interests can creep into that equation because if a Democratic is less funded than a Republican candidate, the Democrat has to seek some funding in order to create awareness for his or her campaign and might need corporate donors to do so, but corporations don't tend to donate money unless they feel as though this candidate will protect them. And a candidate seeking re-election may need to lean on that corporate donor again, and therefore perhaps might bow to that corporation's entrance. In interests. Right. It's not just bowing to that interest. I mean, we hear about backdoor dealings and what is that? Backdoor dealings yeah. is where things are occurring behind the scenes. It doesn't necessarily have to be with a bill. You know, you could just stay quiet. So if you have elected officials that ran on a campaign against vouchers, you know, that siphons money out of our public district schools, that is tax funded to a privatized institution like a private school or a charter school even that is, uh, you know, privatized. 
they don't need to have a bill to be bought out. They can be bought out just by staying quiet or not even standing up at the floor of their chamber to speak up against. Oh, wow. So those are the things that I've noticed, and there's and that goes across all levels of our elected um, officials. That's at the municipal level, state level, and federal level. So one of the things that I commend Republican voters on is the level of engagement that they have. They really, really work to create the communities in which they want to live. Um, the reason why, my understanding, based on the numbers, the reason why elections, it's certainly the presidential election, is even competitive is because of the turnout rate of Republican voters. Otherwise, democratic ideals within human beings overwhelmingly outnumber those of conservative uh, people with conservative values. There are more people in this country with with values that align with what we would consider to be democrat democratic. Um, but the engagement on that side is so heavy. As you stated, um, there are lots of people interested in engaging in the political process on that side of the aisle. Um, but hopefully this conversation um, and by kind of demystifying the political process and the ways that folks can use to to get involved, um, hopefully we can do our part at least to uh, to turn that tide. Yes, I mean, you just um, mentioned the federal level of that noise and creating uh, and generating people to come out and speak on behalf of their party. We also have to be very careful that that sound doesn't drown out the state level's interest because at the state level, that's where our livelihood is being affected directly by yeah, our elected officials. Exactly. We have predatory uh, HOAs here in Arizona. I know other states, they haven't been touched by that. Um, Arizona as a state has been used as a Petri dish for so many privatized, you know, dark money, including vouchers, um, mass incarceration, um, predatory HOAs. I mean, we are run under those systems. And it's not democracy, it's authoritarian, you know, society. And when we just focus on federal uh, initiatives when it comes to election, that puts a uh, blindfold for the state level's uh, issues. And that in itself is also another form of gatekeeping Yeah, to hold our communities, uh, particularly people of color, or those that are um, marginalized or disenfranchised. I mean, we have huge, huge white communities out in the rural that are being marginalized just as badly as those that live in the suburb or the rural, um, I mean, urban. You're saying poor people. You know. Mostly, usually, it's poor yeah, people that are affected they are, disproportionately. But they're also out in the rural area where there's agriculture. Mm -hmm. They are, are farmers. Mm -hmm. And these farmers are kept in debt on purpose by corporate laws. Mm. You know, you saw the documentary Big Chicken. It also happens for the beef, pork, um, anything, even now, um, the hemp, the marijuana. Mm, yes, their agriculture is already being uh, coursed into a, a large 
uh, pack that we're going to support a corporation, and then the farmers are be the ones just like it was for the uh, for the poultry uh, industry, where they're literally being kept in debt to uh, you know produce the uh, outcome. Huh. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's it's just a system that's been in place for for uh, for decades. Well, I think that um, what it does is again it illuminates um, the fact that voting at the state level, voting for a change in your immediate community as opposed to change at the national level, which, to be honest, lots of working folks and pretty much all poor folks don't really feel doesn't matter who sits in the chair and this is part of the reason why a lot of those folks don't really in involve themselves into the political process in the first place because it doesn't make a difference in their day-to-day -day. but voting at the state level you know um, voting for who's going to represent your district and how your schools are going to be run and you know how many fire stations are in proximity to your house and that sort of thing, the way your neighborhoods are policed even. Right, predatory lending practices from the banks, exactly. the ability for communities to rise, uh, you know, for their neighbors and their own families by not having too many corporations, businesses, franchise, uh, you know, stores in a community that are marginalized because that doesn't stay in our communities. It leaves. And then if you go to a more uh, well-off communities, you won't see a fast food chain restaurant within a mile radius. Yeah, they don't have Walmarts there either. <laughs> because their resources is being protected. Yeah. And, and everywhere else is, is, is fair game. Yeah, so who, who made that decision for us? It was our elected officials. Sure. And one of the things that, uh, now that you mention it, um, it occurred. So I've been to um, 49 of the 50 states so far. Um, Which one's missing? <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to Alaska in February. So nice. I'll, that'll be all 50. Anyway, um, one thing that I've noticed overwhelmingly is that when you when you see like billboards and advertisements and things like that, they tend to be in, they, they tend not to be where there are wealthy folks, you know what I mean? No. And, um, yeah, they are. And protected. that's a result of, yeah, that's a result of them being engaged in the political process. I'd imagine I never put that together, but, um, it's just something I picked up on every time we go to a rich part of town or yeah. a place where there's money, you don't see billboards. Nope. And, uh, that's not every time, every, yeah. everywhere, but you know, usually it's something like that. So, um, you you mentioned uh, political. You mentioned a lot of terms, and I do want to cover them all. But this political party gatekeeping, um, what exactly does that mean? Gatekeeping is where democracy is is unpracticed within a party. Democracy, based on the Constitution, allows any individual to run for public office mm -hmm. as long as if they fit the criteria, uh, criteria in citizenship and age and so forth. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is that if you look at all the presidential elections, mm -hmm. like Barack Obama or even George Bush, they had to be the darling of their party. Okay. And how do you become a darling within their party? It's through that process within their party. So I'm not just talking about the Democratic Party. This happens with the Republicans. And when you look at 
the election in the primary between Hillary and Bernie, that's when you saw firsthand how gatekeeping looks like. Yeah. When the party literally was sabotaged their own in a humiliating public way. Yeah. That it hurt our it, it just hurt everyone. Yeah. But at the end of the day, that hurt that hurt democracy. Sure. So when democracy is being attacked, we are all being attacked. Okay. So I have to, in good conscience, to say that gatekeeping is based on access and funding. Mm. So if you are a candidate that has an accent and you, you don't speak with perfect, you know, um, English or accent, whatever the case may be, you have a lesser chance to be the darling of, of the party. party. Okay, I could see that happening. So there's a lot um, of uh, um, gatekeeping that goes on. Mm-hmm. Well, I understand um, how that could be uh, problematic, absolutely. But this is a good enough time for us to take a pause for the call. So stick around. We're coming back with more Civic Cipher right after this.